Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. We're taking a break this month, but thought we'd reshare some takeaways from season one. In this episode, we hear from Michael Botiniff, Global Marketing Director, Strategic Growth at MasterCard, Vijay Ramachandran, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Planning at Pitney Bowes, Frederick Carligren, Vice President of Global Marketing at Toshiba Global Commerce Solutions, and Jared Gardner, Vice President of Digital Marketing at Sprinkler. They discuss the ways they craft their messaging to appeal to their various audiences. Give it a listen. The, the process as a marketer, and for all of us really here, uh, whether I was at IBM or MasterCard or somewhere else or, or an agency, um, I always think of it as sort of these concentric circles of audiences, um, depending on the goal. So, you know, the biggest circle, the wider circle is, is sort of the massive public. You would never go all out trying to market to the massive public, but uh, let's say the, the, the first circle, the largest is maybe your influencer community. And they're not going to be your buyers, they're not going to be your decision makers, but they're very much your influencers. And, um, and when you're building, building brand awareness and when you want thought leadership to be amplified in some way, uh, that's the community you're trying to, uh, whose attention you're trying to get. Uh, for sure, um, and you're hoping to drive sort of waves of amplification through those that audience. But then digging a little deeper now, like you know, your next concentric circle, you have your uh, the folks that report to and inform the C level and VP level audiences. So it might be your directors, it might be your practitioners. You know, the people are on the ground who are like, man, I've got this challenge, and I need a solution for it. I need a technology. I need a platform. I need a way to digitize payments so that I can give people who are um, off the grid, who need help because of COVID, I need to find a way, a way to get money to these people. How, do, how can I do that when they can't get into a post office because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. You know? um, so that, that, that's like another layer. Um, and you, there's a certain, there are certain tactics that feed to that. It might be a combination of paid social, it might be search, um, it might be just a really targeted LinkedIn campaign. Um, and then you have your, your, your buyers and decision makers and CVP level folks. Um, and you know where do they play? They're, they might not be Google searching for a solution, but they might be, uh, you know, swiping through their LinkedIn feed looking for the latest thought leadership or thought leadership paper. It really, it really depends on who you're talking to. So we, we try to think of those different categories and levels of people um, who are different levels of decision making uh, power ability. You know, just that process. They might be in a different role in that process and market to them in the right way, uh, based on what, you know, what resources are they looking at to help them make their decisions? Uh, we work predominantly with uh, direct-to-consumer DTC brands, or otherwise known as digitally native vertical brands. And the reason uh, we kind of focus in that area is because if, um, if you're a, a mid-market brand, what you're trying to do is to figure out what your brand means. You're at a size where you're kind of you don't have the novelty of, of a small startup and you're just kind of entering the market and you've got kind of a, a hockey stick growth curve, right? That's, that's very important to have initially, but at some point you reach a stage where acquiring the next customer, whether it's advertising on Facebook or Instagram or Google or wherever, it becomes really expensive, right? And you've got to figure out that next stage of growth without diluting your brand. 
you see so many of these companies come up. Um, there's companies like Dollar Shave Club and Allbird Shoes. And these are companies that come in through a single product category, shoes, razors, right? They come to the market and build their brand, their brand narrative on a single product category. They hit a certain point and they're like, well, there's only so many, so many people buying razors. What can we sell to achieve the next layer of growth inside of razors, right? And then you start to diversify. Now, as soon as you start to diversify your product portfolio, your brand narrative changes. And the things that drove your business before don't drive your business still. And at that juncture, you're looking for a partner to work with to figure out, well, what are the trade-offs? Is, is option A going to cost more than option B? Do, is there a way that we can anticipate what, can, what our customers are going to think if we roll out option C? You're starting to try to make decisions about your product portfolio and where the value propositions are. And what, once you get really broad, right, uh, bigger than what the, the type of client we usually work with, although we work with, you know, the biggest marketplaces, some of the biggest retailers, we've got experience there. A lot of the customers we're adding these days is in this mid-market digitally native space, because at that large size, you're really only competing on convenience. If you're someone like an Amazon or a Walmart, it's, it's, can I get, it's how much product do I have? Like how many different types of things can I, if you search for, does it show up in the search results in my product list and how fat can I have it tomorrow? Can I have it in two days? You're, you're competing not on the product itself, the, the quality of the product, and the story behind the product or the brand, your brand is about convenience when you get really big. But when you're a mid-market brand, you still want your story to be about your product. And so all of these other things on convenience, it's there are a bunch of trade-offs. You're not just focused on convenience. You're trying to figure out, is this source of convenience worth the trade-off of cost and reducing the amount of money I can put into product? Right? Because it's all a margin trade-off. Um, and so that's why we, we focus on, on these mid-market brands because they're at this very interesting stage of growth where they've achieved this initial growth spurt, but then they have to make these decisions on trade-offs. And we come in with this balancing question of, do you, do you want to focus on convenience? Do you want to focus on brand narrative? Or what are the other options you have? It's not just all convenience or no convenience. There are different levers you can pull. And how can we explore those different levers with you? I might be a little bit biased given who we work with and, and our clients and, and the <laughs> industry that I'm in. But uh, to me, the physical store still just plays such a significant role uh, in, in communities. I mean, not, not just, they're the heart of a lot of communities. And, and I'm not just talking about the big retailers. I'm talking about retail in general, the physical store in general, right? It, it's, um, it's, it's the backbone of so much of what our communities are made out of. And um, you know, you got some big retailers like, uh, you know, for example, where I think they're within five minutes of 80% of the U.S. population, right? I mean, it's, uh, there's other retailers that have that kind of breadth, right? And then there's the mom and smaller retailers who are just the, you know, the, the lifeblood of the community, right? And so what sets, I think, the store apart at the end of the day are things like, um, and this is also based on the consumer survey, right? And what why those who go into store continue to go into a store. A lot of it comes down to quality, right? And the, the being able to see and pick up and know that what you're buying is actually what you're buying. All right. I, a couple of years ago, I, I bought something online uh, for my nephew. It was a little 
uh, like a, a silverware plate set, right? And he was big into construction. And so it had like, you know, it's construction theme. And uh, I got a kind of a confused, uh, you know, message a couple of days later, but well, yeah, I mean, he liked it, but I was like, well, I thought it would be right up his alley. And well, yeah, I mean, you know, and then he kind of got to, well, he had like bugs and, you know, it was a diff totally different theme set. They had sent the wrong one, right? And that's, that happens. I mean, it, it, but in, in the physical world, you, you, you avoid some of that. You know what the quality is. You know what you're picking up is what it is. Merchandising and displays is the big part of that too, right? A lot of consumers want to see how things actually fit together, work together, how the design, you know, designs, Take Ikea, for example, right? So I'm Swedish, right? So I got to plug Ikea in here at some point. I think that's part of my- <laughs> It's yeah. a rule. It's, it's a rule, yeah. Perfect example of, you get to see what the entire space looks like. And that's, you can do some of that online too, but there is a consumer preference with it. You get a better sense for that in a physical store. So I think those are a couple you know, quality related, just the way consumers like to engage. The, the other thing that I- when I think about online and digital and you think about the buying online part, that, that part's did, but let's not forget that behind that is a lot of analog stuff, right? So that item still needs to be packaged. And yes, there's a lot of automation in that process, but we shipped uh, shipping delays, you know, storms and things impacting that whole part of the supply chain. So it, it's not like digital is fully digital where it just shows up in your, in your, on your front door magically, right? And, and so stores still play an important part of, of that essential. We, we haven't even touched on the fact that there are some things that you just run out of or medicines or things that you just need right away. And um, you just want to be more sure. I mean, physical stores are here. They, they are, are going to continue to be uh, you know, a big part of our communities and our, uh, our economy. There's no question about that. Yeah, so that, I think that's the, one of the biggest things that I spend time thinking about. And if you can stay, I think for all marketers that are doing um, any paid demand generation, that's whether you're your B2C or B2B, it doesn't matter, right? So having, being able to target accurately and to measure accurately. So there's, there's two sides of that, right? Like when the cookie goes away, you can't target because you like, let's, let's use Facebook as an example. I can't see that like so-and-so went to, um, you know, uh, let's call it um, like adweek.com, you know, a publisher. And I can assume if somebody goes to adweek.com three times a week, that they're probably in the marketing world. And then I can advertise, advertise the people who go to adweek.com because they're probably interested in marketing. With the cookie going away, that Facebook targeting and really a lot of companies who use third-party data like that is a lot less valuable as well as like it's actually impossible for a less until some of these new technologies like block and fingerprinting become a thing um so the targeting goes away it's way less hard way less more way more difficult and then the other side is the tracking and analytics if facebook if ios is blocking facebook from firing conversion pixels pixels back to facebook you're now your conversions aren't showing up so one your ads are not performing as well because your targeting sucks, but then you're also not measuring what actually is working. So you're actually losing efficiency on the targeting and then you're losing visibility on the back end on the reporting. Um, and so the answer to that really is first party data. And so a um, couple of things that like I've, I've really been focused on lately is building 
a first party data stack that makes you self-sufficient. Because as soon as you own somebody's email address, you can go target that email address in Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, so on and so on and so forth across all of these channels. Um, so that really, I like to really like to build around a customer data platform. Um, Segment is my favorite tool. So like Segment should probably be paying me at this point because I talk about them so much. Um, <laughs> so with Segment really being able to capture, you know, when somebody fills out a form, regardless of what they're downloading, whether it's a demo or they're downloading an ebook or they're downloading a webinar, um, or even better, if you're using product like growth, you're able to get people to become free customers by signing up for a trial or a freemium offering. Now you own that data. That's a customer of yours. And so if you can kind of take what previously you would think of as customer data, and apply that to the prospect model. So how can I get this email before they're a customer so that I can target them as if I was a customer on Facebook? And so that really, it, your data architecture is really super important. So making sure that you have a customer data platform that one captures all of that in a central place and then can sync that over to all the platforms. So from segment, you can use their personas product to sync over an audience to Facebook, to Google ads to LinkedIn, and you can do that with a centralized definition. So you can say, you know, if you're in e-commerce, you can say, I want people who added to cart, who have purchased in the last 60 days, who have something in their cart that they abandoned. And I wanna sync that over to all the ad platforms with one definition, as opposed to going to each ad platform and defining that audience just a little bit different. And then you have one central audience definition and push it everywhere. Uh, so that's kind of like, that helps with the targeting side. And to do that, your marketing activities need to move a little bit up the funnel to make sure you're acquiring that first party data. And then your, your ad, your technology, making sure that you can centralize that collection and sync it everywhere. So that's the kind of the audience targeting side that you lose. And then on the measurement side, um, the ad platforms honestly have some catching up to do. I think Facebook's probably the, the most or is really leading the charge here. So Facebook has a really robust conversions API and through a tool like segment, you can say when somebody requests a demo, instead of firing a conversion pixel off to Facebook, like you would tra traditionally do, I can have server, I can have segment, which is a first party data collection tool. So it's not getting blocked by iOS, send a server side conversion to Facebook on the back end that doesn't get blocked by your OS from my server over to Facebook server to count that conversion. And so your conversion tracking gets better. Now, Google, LinkedIn, Twitter have some catching up to do with the, 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 the server side conversions, but I think it's just a matter of time before they catch up. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. We'll be back with full episodes in September, but until then, please tune in for a month of special topic focused recaps from our season one guests. As always, please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. See you next week.